The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Into the Word uh, and move uh, uh, not too fast. It needs to be effective, but I, I want to move quickly to allow time uh, to pray together. Uh, some of you may be aware that uh, our president, uh, President Trump, has called for a national day of prayer for our nation, and uh, I think that if if we don't respond to that, who will? You know, so we need to make sure and include that uh, in the service this morning, and then carry that uh, throughout the day. I want to get into the Word, so one of the things that I will not do is address items in the bulletin. Uh, I want to encourage you to grab a bulletin if you don't have one already. Take a look at that yourself, and you'll see a number of activities uh, that you should uh, uh, do your best to be included in. You make those things uh, uh, really awesome when you're there with what you bring and what you have to offer. Uh, So I want to jump right into the Word. If you have uh, note-taking materials, things like that, uh, now's a good time to take those out. I want to look at a few things we're going to find as we get into the Scripture uh, if you want to jot these down, there are things you can look forward to. Uh, there are things that, that stand out in the Scripture here as, as highlights, and they can really help us to stay engaged as we move through the Scripture together. One we're going to find is what, what is needed to fulfill Jesus' commandment. That may sound a little familiar because we've talked about the commandment that Jesus has given us uh, multiple times over the past few weeks. We're going to see that there's an element that's needed in order for that to come to pass. Now, that's really good for us to be aware of that because we know what Jesus tells us to do, but we don't understand how we can do that. Then we're left knowing what he tells us to do, but unable to perform. So it's really important for us to catch that. A second thing that we're going to find is how to be stable. I mean, how to be stable. You know, stabilization is really important. Uh, another word you could use is consistent instead of, you know, good days, bad days, ups, downs, highs, lows. That's really kind of a, a miserable existence to not have stability and consistency. And God has made a way for stability to be in our lives. We're going to see how to be stable. A third thing we're going to find is the enemy of belief. The enemy of belief. There's an element that exists in the world today that is attacking belief, and it's good for us to be aware of what that enemy is for the purpose of responding accordingly. So I want to get into the word here. We've been in a series concerning love. We're going to continue with some foundational passages as we get to uh, today's points and message. Uh, I want to give you this out of 1 John. Now, we've looked at 1 John chapter 4 uh, a number of weeks here. It's been foundational in the series. 1 John chapter 4, I want to go and look at a couple of verses. You're going to begin in verse 7 and and we'll move through verse 12. Now, again, this has been the foundation in, in revealing the importance and the necessity of God's love in our lives, not just being received, but then being released. So the word is written to you. It opens up with the word beloved. Now, that's, in, that's addressing who is being spoken to, and that's you. You're the one who is being loved by God. You're the beloved. So, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, as you move through 1 John 4 here, you'll see, beloved, God loves us, and so we also ought to love one another. Now, as you get further down in the passage, probably around verse 12, you're going to see, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. 
Uh, I want to talk about that for a moment because I think that's an important element there. Now, I know that we, we move through that area quickly, but I want to get you to a passage of Scripture in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It speaks about God's love being perfected in us and what the result is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it reads like this, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When God's love is perfected in us, it drives out fear. It drives out anxiety. So when I see passages of Scripture like we read earlier in 1 John chapter 4 that speak about us loving one another, and in doing so, God's love being perfected in us, it leaves the body, it leaves the church in a place where anxiety and fear aren't ruling their, their words and their actions. It has no place in their lives to bring corruption and poor decision-making. But then we're led by God's perfect love. And I want us to get to a point where we understand what that is. And that's been the point of the series when we've discussed what it means to love. I mean, love has become a word that's very loosely used in our vocabulary. You know, I've joked before that I've declared my love for tacos and pizza and, you know, all kinds of food items. What's that? Fritters. Thank you, honey. That's very helpful. <laughs> Apple fritters. I'm so glad that you could remind me. But love's become this four-letter word that we use, and we use it really loosely, you know. And it's a powerful word, so powerful that, that it's, it's who God is when you read 1 John, that God is love, that, that it has the power to drive out all fear and anxiety. I mean, it's a really wonderful and powerful word, and it shouldn't be watered down or condensed into a word that we use to simply describe things that we enjoy or like. But love is a powerful thing, and we've gone to the Bible for a definition of love, and we've looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has listed a number of things that make up what love is. Now, at any point in time, love is all of these things. If you can't check off all of these boxes, then love is incomplete, which is a problem. And, and by definition, it can't be incomplete. When love is incomplete, it's no longer love. And in this situation, we're seeing a number of things that make up what love is, and we're wanting to study those things for the purpose of seeing love perfected in and through our lives. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to begin in verse 4. Love is, now in my mind, it, things just kind of come to a screeching halt there. Love is dot, dot, dot. The following words are going to be making up what love is by biblical definition. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, love does not brag and is not arrogant, love does not act unbecomingly, love does not seek its own, love is not provoked, love does not take into account a wrong suffered, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth, love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things, love never fails." And if my wife could get a hold of this, she might say, uh, love picks up after itself. She might add that in there. I'm sure she could find a way to squeeze that in there. But you see all these things that make up what love is, and we've taken time to discuss these elements for the purpose of having a better understanding of what love is. Uh, we use that word often, like we already stated, and, and if we can say these things in place of the word love, when we use the word love, then we'll be on the right track. Here's an example. I mean, I can tell my wife I love you. It's, it's a very normal thing in our vocabulary. I can be flying out the door, I love you. You hear the door slam and the car start, and there you go. Could I just as easily say, I'm patient with you, I'm kind to you, 
Now, those are the questions that we need to ask in order to see that love is real and genuine in our lives. So we're at a point today where we've gone through patient and kind. We've gone down the list here, and we're nearing the end of the list. Today, we're going to be talking about love believing all things. Now, love believing all things doesn't mean that love is gullible, like love will buy anything. It'll believe anything that that gets thrown at it. What it means is love believes at all times, through all events, through all circumstances. I mean, in the midst of of the the greatest hell that has ever afflicted my marriage, love believed that we were called to be together. In the the times when, when, when there was tremendous trial and hardship in any labor, and in my life that's in ministry, and in a number of other things, love was, was positioned and required to believe that even though things look like this right now, God has a plan and a solution. In all situations, in all circumstances, no matter what things seem like, love believes. So for me personally, I look at this and I see love believes all things, and my mind is shifted to believe that love believes at all times. Through all things, through all elements, through all hardship, through all difficulty, love never stops believing. Now, I mentioned before we're going to find what's needed to fulfill Jesus' commandment. Remember, Jesus told us to love one another. He said, this is my commandment, that you would love one another uh, just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. I want to give you a, a passage of scripture. I have written down here 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And what's written here is as follows. This is his commandment, his with a capital H, meaning Jesus. This is the commandment that Jesus gave. Now, this is the the words that follow. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So, excuse me, the his there is God the Father. This is God's commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he commanded us. So when we read this element or this interpretation or this uh, uh, manifestation of God's commandment inspired by the Holy Spirit and released uh, through the scripture into our lives, we see that fulfilling that commandment to love one another has a step one attached to it. And this is the commandment of God that we believe in his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded. Now I could sit and preach all day long that, that Jesus and don't Nobody grunted or groaned, thank you for that, when I said I could preach all day long. I'm, gonna, I'm going to, to move through this quickly. But you could talk about this for a great length of time, about Jesus and his commandment for us to love one another. And if we don't catch the step one there, what's required for us to love one another, it could become empty words. They might be eloquent services and, wow, you should listen to that message. It's very well you know, put together and, and, and eloquently delivered. But there's no substance unless we find out how to bring it into existence in our lives. I love the passage of scripture that we just read because it it gives us application and instruction. This is the commandment of God that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. What I'm forced to understand here is that in any situation where I'm commanded to love my neighbor, where I'm commanded to love just as Jesus instructed me to do, I'm going to be required to believe in Jesus in the first place. Now, there's something here that we're going to get to. It's going to make sense as we move through the scripture. But right now, I want to talk about some of the benefits of believing in Jesus. Uh, I'll give you one out of the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, I want to look at verses 15 and 16. 
You know, John 3, 16 is a very popular verse of Scripture. I want to read this to you beginning in 15. Whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So you see that the life that God has called us to is, is positioned in a, in a place where belief activates it, where belief positions us to walk in it, to live it out. Belief is a powerful thing. In this passage of Scripture, you could easily say that belief is a matter of life or death. Another element is the very power of God existing in and through our lives. I'll give you a passage of Scripture out of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, I want to look at verses 18 through 20. It's a prayer that's being prayed by Paul for all believers. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened in order that you might know the hope which God has called you to. The riches of his glory, the inheritance of his holy people. All of this power that cannot be compared is for us who believe. The power that is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. And when you read passages of scripture like the closing verses of the gospel of Mark that talk about the signs that accompany the believers... You can understand that that power that God has promised and that power that God has released, according to Paul here, is for those who believe. When I see that belief opens the doors for life and when belief is necessary for the power of God, I begin to get excited about coming into a greater understanding of what it means to believe. If believing is required in order for me to love one another, and me loving one another is what opens the door for God's love to be perfected in me, which drives out anxiety and fear, then I want to believe. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, you'll see a question and an answer. A question is asked and an answer is given. Therefore they said to him, now the they here is disciples. It's you, you and me could have been in the group. And they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God. Man, what a great question to ask Jesus. Don't you know that somebody in the group got the guts up to ask that? Because they're all seeing this thing. They're seeing wonderful miracles and incredible things taking place, and none of them have a clue, but yet, you know, at, at some point, we want to go beyond just like, wow, that was a good one. Did you see that guy? He really jumped up. But they want to participate. There's a hunger and an anticipation to understand what's going on. They approach Jesus and they ask, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Now, I love verse 29 because it says, and Jesus answered. What a guy that he wouldn't just say, uh, sorry, you either got it or you don't. But he answered them and he said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. That was his answer to that question. To perform the works that God has performed and released through Jesus, and he's called us to perform those same works, Jesus answers when he's asked, how does this work? How do we do this? He's answered with the need to believe. Seeing that believing releases the power of God, believing opens up the door for life, believing is what positions us to live lives with God's love perfected in our lives, with no fear and no anxiety. I want to believe. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of John 14, verse 12. Jesus speaks and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll also do. 
and greater works than these he will do also, all because I go to the Father. Now, if you connect the dots in the scripture of what it means for Jesus to go to the Father, it means be crucified, ascend into heaven, and God fulfill his promise and pour out the Holy Spirit. And by the way, be crucified, be raised from the dead, ascend into heaven, and pour out the Holy Spirit. I don't want to cut that short. I want to give you a passage out of John chapter 7, looking at verses 38 and 39. Jesus is speaking. He says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And this is, he, this is what he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him had not yet received, for the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Or as we read earlier uh, from John 14, he had not yet gone to the Father. So you see all of these things that are conditional upon believing, and it makes me want to believe. Now there's a challenge with, with believing, and we're going to get to that. But before we do that, I want to inform you of another benefit of believing, which is stability. And the reason why this one is separated from the others is because I believe that this is an important and necessary thing in every believer's life. When I look at our culture and I, I, I look at my own life experience, I can see the woes and frustrations of inconsistency and instability. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of Romans chapter 10, and then we're going to look at a passage out of Isaiah chapter 28. Romans 10 verse 11, it says that the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. The word never there is absolute. And by its presence there, it's introducing consistency. Meaning you're not going to have days where things are good and days where things are bad. But believing in Jesus positions us to have consistency in our choices and in our actions. It doesn't mean we don't have choices. And it doesn't mean that our actions can't produce negative or adverse uh, consequences. But when we believe in Jesus, we're positioned to have stability and consistency in our lives for the first time ever. I'll give you a passage of scripture, as I said before, out of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. A wonderful prophecy, prophecy, excuse me, speaking of the coming Messiah. And it reads like this, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation. It will be firmly placed. And the rest of the scripture reads like this. This is really where I want you to engage and pay very close attention. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Another interpretation or translation would be, would not be rushed. The NIV says this, and I like this one the best. He who believes in this cornerstone, who is Jesus, will never be stricken with panic. I mean, sign me up for that. I can't turn on the news today without seeing pictures of people hoarding toilet paper. <laughs> and it's a goofy example, but it tells you the power of anxiety and fear. It just corrupts judgment. It leads to greed and selfishness. And in all of these things, we can stand firmly upon a passage of Scripture that speaks of the cornerstone that God has laid upon His kingdom, and that's Jesus he who believes in that cornerstone will not be stricken with panic. 
So what does it mean to believe? I mean, I want to talk about this because this is important to me that this is something that we get right. I mean, I've been in a lot of church services where belief was the topic. I've seen messages where people were encouraged to, to believe, and, and I think that's great. And then I've heard messages where people were encouraged to believe more, and I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I understand that. And then I've heard messages where people were, were instructed to believe harder, and I'm thinking, how do you do that? So, I mean, some of you have heard this before. In fact, maybe all of you have, but I, I want to just offer this. You know, it's just fun, and I mean, I kind of just refer to it as the elephant test, okay? I mean, how many of you in the room believe in elephants? I mean, I, I believe in them. I believe in elephants, right? I, they're, they're, I've seen them, and, and even if I hadn't seen them, I've seen pictures, you know. Now, I want you to sit there, and I want you to believe in them more. Or believe in them harder. I mean, it becomes this physical task of, of trying to, to, to position something maybe in, in a higher priority. I don't know, but it just becomes a real difficult labor. And I don't think that God went out of his way to do all the wonderful and mighty things that he did as a gift in order to create a burden for us. When we come to believing Jesus, I don't think it's a matter of, of uh, simply giving more mental capacity toward. But I think there's something that God's calling us to, and we need to understand the word. And I want to do that this morning. I want to look at believe, and I want to look at it in the dictionary, and I want to look at it in a concordance, which would be uh, the translation of the original words used there in the scripture. So if I take the English word believe, and I go to the dictionary, and I look it up, this is what you're going to get. To accept, accept something as true genuine, or real. I mean, you could ask a kid, do you believe in Santa Claus? Do you accept that he's true? Do you accept that he's genuine? Do you accept that he's real? I mean, that's a good English definition of the word believe. And if we take that definition and we apply it to the scripture, then everywhere that you see Jesus saying, believe in me, or everywhere that you see the call to believe in Jesus, what you're seeing is accept that he is true, accept that he's genuine, accept that he's real. I got news for you. Satan accepts that he's real. Satan accepts that he's genuine, and Satan accepts that he's true. But if you go to the concordance and you, you look up the word that's used for believe, here's the definition that you'll get. And this is the one that I think we ought to interpret the scripture through. Believe, to put trust in. To put trust in. And this is where you see the difference. Where all of the, the demonic realm can accept that Jesus is true, they don't put their trust in him. They want to do what they want to do. Rebellious, independent. Put trust in. If we can apply this as the definition, and really and truly, if I were to make a Preston Humphreys translation of the Bible, I don't know that I would use the word believe. I think I would write out put trust in. I mean, it's almost the same amount of letters. Put trust in. And if you take those three words, put trust in, and you begin to put those words in place of the word believe, you come up with scriptures that have a lot more of an ability to have an impact in our lives. Like, let's go back to John chapter 3. Whoever puts their trust in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever puts their trust in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mean, it reads a little different, right? It's not just about 
coming to a point where you acknowledge he exists, therefore I have eternal life. But I'm acknowledging that he's real, his commandments are true, his ways are higher than mine. I lay down my intentions and my ways and I take his. I trust him. It's a completely different way to look at the scripture. And even the passage out of Ephesians, praying that our eyes would be opened or that the power of God would be released through our lives. That the power of God, not just for us who believe, but we could say for us who put our trust in him. And then you go into the other passages in John, you know, with the question and the answer. Therefore, they asked him, what must we do that we may do the works of God? And Jesus answered them and he said to them, this is the work of God, that you put your trust in Jesus whom he sent. John 14, truly, truly, I say to you that whoever puts their trust in me, these works he will do also and greater works than these. And then on into John chapter 7, he who puts their trust in me, as the scripture has said from his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. I mean, to take that and have a little bit of shift in your mind, that belief is more than just acknowledging the existence of. Biblical belief is about placing your trust in, not allowing the voice from the outside to influence your words and actions. That voice is leading to corruption. That voice is leading to instability. That voice is leading to inconsistency. But to put your trust in the direction of Jesus Christ, the counsel of our King. And I love that it brings stability. When you recall that we read out of Isaiah, the cornerstone that has been laid. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed that he who puts their trust in it will never be stricken with panic. What a wonderful thing. And I love the concept of stability. Now, I know that this isn't necessarily how the word breaks down, but in my mind, when I see stability, I see two words crammed together. Stay and ability, the ability to stay. The stability that God brings through Jesus, us putting our trust in Jesus, keeps us from running off in panic every time something threatens our our well-being, our safety, our security, but we can stand. I want to give you a passage of scripture, and then I want to, to move into our time of prayer. I mentioned before we're going to find out the enemy of belief. And most of us would, would, would say, well, that's got to be unbelief. But I want to look in the passage of Scripture here, and I want to see what stands out. Uh, I want you to go to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 5. I want to paraphrase, so I'm going to kind of tell a bit of a story, but it's there in the Scripture. And if you follow along there, you'll see that it's all written out there. And Jesus has been doing wonderful things. Marvelous works. Devils are being cast out. People are being healed. The the word has spread across the land that God is moving in powerful ways. And in Mark chapter 5, we open up with Jesus arriving. He's arriving in a place. He's just crossed a, a body of water and he arrives in a place. He says people are coming from all over. That, that a great crowd has come and assembled. And in this great crowd, there's a leader, a religious leader. So you're dealing with someone who believes in God. He he acknowledges the existence of God and and that God uh, uh, is, is present and true. 
He has all of the belief, as we would define it <clears throat> from an English perspective, he has all of that going for him. And he comes to Jesus, he, he makes his way through this crowd that has developed, and he begins to cry out for help and assistance. And when he does finally make his way to Jesus, he has the opportunity to speak to him, I mean, eye to eye. He's fought through the crowd, he's looking into the eyes of Jesus, and he says, I need your help, Master. <clears throat> My daughter, she's sick. She's sick and she's to the point of death. Will you please come and lay your hands upon her? I know when you lay your hands upon her, she'll rise up and be well. Jesus agrees to go and, and the, the people begin to move. And I just picture as Jesus is walking, the crowd is growing bigger. And as the crowd grows bigger, the pace of the walk slows down. And I can picture this father, you know, wanting to just push through the crowd. Make way, make way. We're on a mission. And the crowd is pressing in. The pace is being slowed, and he realized with every tick of the clock, his daughter closes in closer and closer to death. As the crowd is moving, there's interruptions. A woman fights through the crowd, and she pushes her way through. And I mean, when I picture this story, I picture her crawling around underneath people's legs and feet, trying to get to Jesus, just whatever way she can make it. Because the crowd is so dense and thick. And she finally gets to the point where she can reach out and stretch just a little further. And she touches just the edge of his garment. And the power of God is released. And she's healed. And Jesus turns and he says, who touched me? And the disciples are looking at Jesus and they say, Master, are you kidding me? Look around you. People are climbing on top of each other. They're all over us. And you're asking, who touched me? He says, no, somebody touched me. I mean, people were touching him throughout this entire, uh, 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 this, this entire uh, movement from this side to that side. He was being touched. But he acknowledged that one person touched him, one person who had faith and who trusted that if they could get to that point, I put my trust that if I simply touch you, the power of God will be released. It wasn't that he hadn't been touched. It was that someone who'd put their trust in him touched him and something happened. And I picture the father of the daughter who's dying, thinking, oh my goodness, another delay. We got to hurry. Time is not on our side. Hey, listen, congratulations on your healing, but we need to go. And Jesus stops and he, he speaks and he engages with the woman who's touched him. And finally, that whole uh, uh, moment of ministry is over and the, this group, this caravan begins to move on as they close in on the house where the daughter is sick. People meet them on the way with a message of gloom. They say, there's no need to continue anymore. She died. I have to think that there was a moment there where time just stood still. Where a father stood and thought, if I would have been faster. If that woman wouldn't have gotten in the way. If we wouldn't have had any delays. Maybe if he could have just gotten here yesterday instead of today. I mean, all of these thoughts are probably racing through his mind of how he has completely and utterly failed at the mission that he set out to accomplish. And there's a passage of scripture that I want us to read before we begin with the paraphrasing again. And it's there in Mark 5, 35 and 36. 
It says, while Jesus was still speaking, they came out from the house. They came out and they said, your daughter has died. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. And in verse 36, Jesus responds to this statement. It says, and Jesus, overhearing what had been spoken, said to the father, don't be afraid, only believe. I believe that it's fear that's the enemy of belief. Fear that God won't do what he said he would do. Fear that, that it's not going to happen, it's not going to work. I think fear is the enemy of unbelief. And it's the reason why Satan is constantly sowing anxiety and fear into our lives to cause us to trip and stumble at the point of belief. But in the midst of getting this news, this dreadful news, this horrible news, when time stands still and all thought is given to what could have been done differently to get the result that we wanted and we set out to do, Jesus, just as he calmed the storm on the sea, calms the storm in this man's mind when he says, don't be afraid, only believe. I love the word only, meaning don't let anything else compromise belief. Get everything else out of the way. Just leave belief. Only believe. What a wonderful way to say that. To not just say, hey, don't be afraid. Believe. But only believe. And he actually brings this into a tangible and physical manifestation. In just a moment in the story, they continue on the trip. But you have to understand this father, when faced with that crossroads, has to make a decision. Even though he's been given news by men and women that he knows and he trusts that his daughter has died, Jesus looks into his eyes, says, don't be afraid, but only believe. And he makes the choice to continue on with Jesus. And so they do. They make their way to the house, and as they close in on the house, you can hear the sound of the mourners who are paid to be there to, to wail and to mourn and to cry and to, to exhibit to the community the sorrow that's in this household. You can hear the sound as you begin to approach, and as you close in, it's louder and louder and louder. And Jesus and the Father step there toward the house, and Jesus makes a decision. A decision to communicate to those who are around that there's no need for them to weep or mourn. He makes a statement. He says, this young girl isn't dead, she's just asleep. And the Bible says that all of this, this false crying and all of this false mourning that's there erupts into laughter. They begin to laugh. The sound of tears and mourning <laughs> turned into laughter because Jesus stood there and made the statement that he made. And I have to believe when I read this that it was done on purpose. To identify those who were present who had the capacity to believe, the willingness to put their trust in. Because what he does after is he begins to make room for only belief. All of you who are laughing you're excused. All of you who are mocking, you're excused. All of you who aren't coming into agreement with what God is speaking, you're excused. Just like he told the Father, don't be afraid, only believe. And when he'd put out all of those who were filled with mocking and laughter, whose, whose sorrow and whose weeping was false, he stood there with a few of his disciples and the parents and the girl laid out on the bed. 
He went and he took her by the hand and with little pomp or ceremony simply told her, little girl, rise up. And she did. And don't you know the father who had stood at all of those crossroads, who was faced with the decision to be afraid or only believe, erupted with joy and celebration. The sound that would have filled that house probably could be heard blocks away. And all those mourners who were walking home saying, well, I hope we still get paid, probably heard the eruption of joy from the household as the mother and the father celebrated the wonderful and mighty work that God had done. We're constantly placed in points of decision to decide what to do with the fear that exists in this world. Do we make a place for it or do we drive it out and only believe? I want to give you a passage of scripture on how to believe. I want to give it out of the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. I want to look at verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 5. Remember, to believe is to put trust in. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will, not might, not could, but will, make your paths straight. Sometimes things can be very simple, but it doesn't mean that they're easy. This could be the most difficult task any person has ever been set to, but yet it's incredibly simple. For us to live out lives of belief, lives that truly put trust in Jesus as our King, we've got to be willing to lay down what we think. We have to be willing to lay down what we see. We have to be willing to lay down what we hear. We have to be willing to listen intently for the counsel and the direction of our King Jesus and put our trust completely in him. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.